I was just like this roller coaster of waiting, you know, month after month. You sort of go through the first few months of it'll be next month, it'll be next month, it'll be next month. And then you sort of transition to it's not going to be this month, it's not going to happen. And I felt like I was doing everything and just nothing was working. And I felt like I was in this constant holding pattern, like sitting on a plane and just circling an airport month after month waiting and, you know, being disappointed and then picking yourself up and going, okay, we've got to keep trying. It's exhausting. Hello and welcome to Mum Life, a podcast for ambitious mums navigating the sweet and messy journey of motherhood. I'm Leonie Kidanor, and each week I will bring you conversations with mums and parenting experts about the highs and lows of motherhood and tips to make our lives that little bit easier. Hi everyone. Today I'm speaking with Sonia O'Mara a friend of mine, who openly discusses her journey in conceiving. I remember being pregnant and being so nervous about the whole process. After getting to those magical 12 weeks, I was still so unsure the entire way through. My biggest fear is that there would be no heartbeat and I would just wait between obstetrician appointments and hope for the best. It was the uncertainty along with changing hormones and all of that that we experience, that I'm sure contributed to me experiencing prenatal depression. For the first time in my life, I wasn't able to work harder, focus more, or throw money at the problem in order to gain some level of certainty. It was just me and this baby, one day at a time. What a head fuck. I'm bringing you this conversation today as I think it's so important to talk about how different our journeys can look when we're trying to conceive. Even though progress is being made about talking more about miscarriage and struggling to fall pregnant, it still seems to carry immense shame in our society and is still considered relatively taboo. In this conversation with Sonia today, we discuss how she felt when she experienced both of those things, miscarrying and also struggling to fall pregnant for two years. We talk about how she managed this tough time, what supported her, and how we can best support each other during these difficult times. Before we run this conversation, I wanted to let you know that this will be our last episode for the season. After conceiving this podcast during the depths of Melbourne lockdown, and now having released 12 juicy episodes, we're taking a short four-week break. But I want to assure you that after this break, we'll be back and bigger than ever. I have some amazing conversations in the season two lineup. And also, this is a shout out to all of you to please hit me up on Instagram if there's anyone in your network that you think could be a good fit to be a guest on the show. I want to thank everyone who has listened to this season, who has slid into my DMs and given me feedback, who has joined the Facebook group and supported us via social media. Your support means the world to me. And if I have in some way played a small part in entertaining you and providing tips to make your mum life journey that little bit easier, then to me, that means the world. For the last time this season, let's cut to the conversation. 
I'm excited to have my girlfriend, Sonia, on the podcast today to talk all about her pregnancy journey. Son, welcome. Thanks. So what I like to ask guests uh, first and foremost is just a little bit about their life before they became a mother. I think it's important to get that context because, you know, we certainly had our our former identities. So my question for you is sort of how would you describe yourself before you became a mother as far as your job and, you know, any sort of passions and hobbies that you had? Yeah, it's hard to sort of think of life before kids, isn't it? I, yeah, I worked, I worked full time in a financial services role. I loved my job. I loved working and I love to travel. So my husband and I would try and get overseas once a year, if not more than once a year. And yeah, that was it. I I like to spend time with my friends, very close with my family. Yeah. So just work, travel, fun. That's it. And as far as your career, was your job quite demanding at the time? Were you, did you have sort of a clear career direction at the time as well that you were trying to get to? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I I enjoyed, I guess, that corporate type of um, environment. I travelled a lot for work. Um, I was very aspirational in terms of wanting to to succeed in in everything that I did really mm. but obviously at that time work was a really big focus so yeah it was I enjoyed being really busy I enjoyed doing really complex work and yeah I just wanted to succeed in my career and kind of climb that corporate ladder mm. and at what how did you think a baby would fit in the picture um I was a bit reluctant actually to as much as I I really wanted to start a family and, and have a baby there was it, it it felt like the the career part would would be put on hold and yeah I was a bit always a little bit reluctant to to sort of pull the pin because I felt like for a little while at least it was going to be one or the other and I couldn't have both at the time that I fell pregnant, I was in a really great spot at work with some really challenging work that was quite visible in in a large business. So recognising that I sort of had to step away from that was a little bit difficult as well. What uh, difference does it, would it have made to you sort of taking, I don't know, six, 12 months off during that time? How do you think that impacted your career? I think you sort of how it impacts and how you think it might impact are two different things. Mm. You know, when you're at work and you feel like you're needed and people rely on you for expertise or information, it's nice to sort of feel wanted and that thought of no longer having that because you're no longer at work. I found it to be certainly quite daunting and... Yeah, I I think just the thought of no longer having that and perhaps being forgotten just, you know, as that person that's gone on maternity leave was a little bit scary as well. Mm, and I think, I mean, I can so relate and you're, you you form such a strong identity, you know, or you work up to a certain, you know, career goal and path. And, you know, for myself, I was 31 when I had my first child, Noah, and, you know, you form such a strong identity prior. And for me, a lot of it was tied to my work. So similarly, I'm, I'm sure given how career oriented you were, it, it, it's a bit, it can be very daunting just kind of stepping away from that and going, oh, okay, so 
who am I now? <laughs> yeah, I'm <the> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're sort of, you're, you're known in a workplace and, and you're known for particular things at work and, you know, you can, you're, you're depended on. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a scary thought to, mm. to have this picture of yourself that's about to change completely, but you're also invisible to people who might think, that you're important or certainly mm. you might think that those people think you're important. Totally. That's uh, I often find the external validation sort of is yeah, something that exactly. I kind of crave to some extent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So was it a conscious decision for you to start, for you and Nate to start, Nate, your husband to start trying or how did that conversation sort of come about? Yeah. So Nate and I had been married for quite a while not that that matters but we'd been together for 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 a long time I was sort of into my mid-ish 30s and you know I'd always wanted kids and I always had this fear in my back in the back of my mind that what if we struggle to get pregnant or what if we can't get pregnant and I never wanted to regret not trying to have a child early enough that we could seek help or do something about it if we couldn't so yeah I guess it didn't it's not that it felt like it was the right time but I did feel a little bit of that body clock pressure that I had to do something something about it Mm. which ultimately was try and get pregnant yeah I think you can all relate to that I mean particularly as I said when you've got a career and you're very focused on that it's almost like there's never the right time you know exactly and yeah as you said that body clock sometimes can dictate dictate that timing so when you when you did decide okay we're going to start trying um sort of talk me through from there like sort of what what did that mean for you and how did that pan out so we were I guess it you know we talked about it for a really long time and then just went okay well you know let's this year let's make this year the year that hopefully it happens we were really fortunate that we got pregnant pretty much straight away and yeah there was no there's obviously some chemistry behind it which I'm sure everyone (laughs) knows but yeah unfortunately we had a miscarriage the first time which was really confronting like I never had had really known you know what a miscarriage was or 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 sort of what that meant um so yeah it was it was a mixture of emotions because it happened so quickly but then it also didn't happen. So mm. yeah, that was a, a, a real challenge. How many weeks were you when that happened? I think I uh, I had an obstetrician appointment at around eight or nine weeks and yeah, that w- it was a confirmed miscarriage. At that point? Yeah, at that point. And when yeah. you went so to it see was the my, obstetrician? Mm. Yeah, so it was my second appointment and the first one went okay and everything seemed okay, but then the second one yeah, there was no heartbeat. Mm. So talk to me about that moment, I guess, when you're you're sort of, you know, you're there, you're at the obstetrician's office, you're, you know, you're sort of almost assuming good news, um, not so much. So, so what, what emotions do you feel at that point? I remember us, we had our families over and we, we told my parents and we told Nate's parents. So 
we were already sort of starting to celebrate cautiously, I Mm. guess a little. And then, yeah, just seeing the obstetrician and having an ultrasound and he's like, oh, there's no heartbeat there. And, you know, I I think the first thing I said was, well, what does that mean? Mm. It's like, oh, you've had a miscarriage. And it was just a real, a real shock. And, you know, you sort of go, oh, what, you know, what, what to, what is this? What's what's happening? Mm. Um, and yeah, you um, yeah, it's just a very strange and empty feeling, I think. And I think what from what I've heard from friends who have also experienced it is that you almost feel like your morning, you, you go through sometimes a, gr- a bit of a grieving period, but then sometimes you're questioning what you're grieving because it's not something that necessarily eventuated. What was your yeah. experience with the grieving and all of that? Yeah. Yeah. It was quite quite strange because the pregnancy happened so quickly and so there wasn't a whole lot of time to sort of for that to sink in, particularly with the first time. You don't really know or realise that your body's changing in a particular way and, you know, I started to feel the effects of a pregnancy, like the hormones were kicking in. And then to sort of hear that that wasn't happening, I'm like, but my, my body is still doing, my body still thinks that I'm pregnant. So, mm. like, what's happening? And, it, you know, I guess the the physical feelings that I was having in my body didn't quite match the emotional feeling that I was having that, you know, that needed to catch up. Mm. So yeah, it was it, it was quite it was it was scary. It was you know unknown, and yeah, just a bit shocking. I think is probably mm. the best word. And how like what's the advice from doctors? So how long does it take for your body to start feeling normal and regulating a bit again? Yeah. So after I miscarried, I was admitted to the hospital for like a, a procedure that went for an hour or so um, where they do a dilation, sort of clean everything out and the my obstetrician sort of said, you know, wait three months, your, your period should return by then. I was always really regular so he wasn't expecting any issues with that. And actually when I asked him, I'm like, why should I wait three months? And he's like, well, physically you don't really have to wait any amount of time, mm. but it's more emotionally just to give your mind a little bit of a break to mm. get yourself into a better mindset to get pregnant again. Mm. So, yeah, that's that's what we did. So did you feel that three months felt sort of about right for you at that point or how did yeah, that I, pan out for you? Yeah, I think so. I I felt like three months was was a, a a good amount of time. If not, it was probably a little bit long for us mm-hmm. because I felt like, you know, the miscarriage had happened. I had a little bit of time to grieve. I also wasn't sure what I was grieving at that point, mm-hmm. and I basically just wanted to get on with it and wanted to try again and mm-hmm. and. Yeah, the three months did feel a little bit long, I think. Mm. And, you know, as your doctor said, that's kind of that that was his recommendation, but people, you know, can try earlier if that's what feels right for them. Is that essentially what he was saying? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if there's any sort of 
medical reasons yeah. for it. I'm sure there might be. Yeah. And certainly he was coming at it from more of this, you know, the mental health point of view, which yeah. is fair enough as well. Yeah, absolutely. So talk yeah. us through following those three months, what happened then? Yeah, so um, following those three months, we tried to get pregnant again. And again, we got pregnant really quickly. Mm. Um, and that was, again, it it was it was a it was a mindset of well we got pregnant the first time really quickly so we should get pregnant the second time really quickly and we did and so then the waiting begins right of getting to that magical 13 weeks and yeah had early obstetrician appointment and everything looked fine as it did the first time but this time we were lucky and we had a healthy little boy mm. yeah so uh, he's now Almost five. And absolutely adorable. (laughs) (laughs) So given your first experience of a miscarriage, talk me through that second pregnancy. Were you very hesitant? Like I can only imagine are you sort of second guessing everything or were you just all right to put aside what happened the first time and sort of plough forward positively? No, absolutely. Second guessing everything. Yeah. Just waiting for every appointment to hear a heartbeat, you know, every movement when you could start feeling the baby move. I mean, we're obviously happy and excited, but mm. every every emotion I felt like there was this underlying feeling of caution mm. and almost um, afraid to be, to, to just have to go through that again. Mm. And I remember a girlfriend saying to me, you know, when I expressed those feelings, she said, I I just don't think you'll ever feel okay until that baby is in your arms. And I'm like, exactly right. Yeah. Um, and it was true. Yeah, it was just, it felt like this cloud that was constantly overhanging and you were just mm. waiting for something to go wrong. So, yeah, it was it was a really happy and exciting time, but it was also tainted a little bit as well, I think. So massive sense of relief once Austin was born, I can only imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, that's the thing as women as well. Like, I mean, I fortunately to date haven't had a miscarriage, but just throughout both pregnancies that I've had, I just am so, again, erring on that side of caution, nervous, not sure. It's so out of your control. And I think that's one thing that is just, it throws such a spanner in the works because it's almost like for the first time in your life, it's not something you can work harder at or, you know, throw money at the problem or whatever it is. Yeah. You have no control whatsoever and that is so daunting. And I sort of wonder if if even men, like ex- I, I'm sure they do not do not experience it at the same level as us, but, I mean, how did you find, what do you think the difference was throughout that journey between the way in which you were feeling and the way in which Nath was feeling? Yeah, it's a tough one. I think um, we both obviously felt the loss of the first baby in in really different ways. I remember having a real sort of a, a breakdown one evening with Nath where I just felt like I wasn't performing well at work. You know, I'd had a miscarriage and just I felt like my world was falling apart. Mm. And it, I think it was the first time that I'd really broken down emotionally about it. Mm. And... I th- it might have been a few weeks later that Nathan told me that he reached out to one of his friends um, 
to tell him about what had happened. And at that time I realised quite selfishly that, you know, I hadn't really considered how Nath was feeling because I was quite wrapped up in in my own emotions. Mm. So I think, yeah, I mean, men and, and women experience things differently. I guess for for the mothers, you know, we experience the physical aspect of it as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think we we adjusted differently. It's not to say that one of us sort of carried on with life or anything like that quicker mm. than the other, um, but we just had really different ways of of dealing with our feelings towards what had happened. Yeah, no, totally makes sense. I think um, so. So you you mentioned there that obviously, I mean, yeah, it was it was a lot of emotions to carry, and that you know you had a bit of a breakdown at that one point, for example. How do you build resilience during those really tough months, um, those three months that you're sort of working up to trying again? Yeah, I'm quite emotional, and I I feel like I've um, I express my emotions somewhat well in my personal relationships. Yeah, it's a tough one, Lee. Like I, mm. I think um, the way that you brought up as well has a little bit of a little bit to do with how resilient you might be. Yeah, a lot in my life has just been sort of get up, brush yourself off, and get on with it. Mm. So I, I feel like I had a little bit of sort of sorrow time to feel sorry for myself, to be angry, you know, to be sad. And then I just moved on Mm. um, because I had to. We had to keep going. Yeah. So, yeah. Gives you a sense of purpose, I guess. Yeah, exactly. There's no Mm. real rhyme or reason or, or, or quick fix or answer. It's just that we kept going. Was there anything that you found was supportive? I mean, you know, listening to certain podcasts or resources or books or speaking to your friends or, you know, any sort of avenues that really helped ground you? I think definitely chatting to girlfriends. I was quite open about it and I felt like the more open I was, the more I found out that a few of my girlfriends had also had miscarriages. I will say, though, that knowing that someone else had had a miscarriage or reading that someone else had had a miscarriage or reading about someone else's someone else's experiences didn't really change anything in my mindset or or how I felt. Mm. It was just, oh, okay, so that person has as well. It didn't make me feel any better or that I was part of a a group or or that mm. there was a support network or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It 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 may have made me feel like, oh, I'm not the only one, but mm. Yeah, it, it it just wasn't like it certainly wasn't rapport building or anything like that. Could you see it sort of as a couple, I guess, having experienced that together? Was there, did anything sort of shift for you? Did you sort of grow through that experience together as a couple? I'm just sort of curious if the dynamic really changed at all or was it sort of just business as usual? And Yeah, great question. Nathan and I have been together for for a long time and so I think, you know, there was a lot of tears and not a not a lot of yelling, but a lot of quiet. Mm. And it's not that it made our relationship 
stronger or anything like that. Mm. We just sort of carried on, really. Um, you know, there was no deep soul searching or anything like that, which might make us sound a little bit shallow, but um, I think we're, no. we were quite comfortable in our relationship. We'd known each other for for many years, so it was mm. just like, you know, this has happened and it was it was sad, um, but life goes on. Yeah. So talk to me about your second pregnancy journey then. Yeah. So um, I guess when Austin was three, you know, I'd always planned on having certainly at least one more child. And I remember, you know, calling my private health insurer to up my cover um, and there was a little bit of a waiting period and, you know, being um, able to get pregnant so quickly the first time, very cautious of not getting pregnant without sort of being ready for it to happen Mm. the second time around. And, yeah, when we sort of had the, the... the window to start trying, um, we did. And to my surprise, it didn't happen the first month or the second month or the third month. And yeah, it was a bit of a shock, like what's going on here? We've, we know what we're doing. We've, we've been pregnant twice before. Yeah. It, it, um, it took almost two years for us to get pregnant with our second baby. Mm. And so I can't even imagine that headspace that you would have been in, particularly because, I mean, even falling pregnant on the first month is just uh, like it's such a blessing, I guess, and not very common. So, I mean, having those expectations and going, what's going on? It's been like two months now, like let alone longer. (laughs) So, like, where is your head at during that, that time as yeah. far as, you know, just waiting and being, I don't know, I'm assuming sort of disappointed month after month. Like what was yeah. that like for you? Yeah. Yeah, it was it was waiting. It was exactly that. It was just like this roller coaster of waiting, mm. you know, month after month. You sort of go through the first few months of it'll be next month, it'll be next month, it'll be next month. And then you sort of transition to it's not going to be this month, it's not going to happen. Mm. And you know, we had some amazing overseas trips. Um, so people were like, oh, you just need a holiday and you need to take a break from work. And I felt like I was doing everything and just nothing was working. And I felt like I was in this constant holding pattern, like sitting on a plane and just circling an airport mm. and month after month waiting and, you know, being disappointed and then picking yourself up and going, okay, we've got to keep trying. Um, so, yeah, it's exhausting. I bet was so. What do you think was the final? Like, is there any? Like, eventually, obviously, you did fall pregnant. So, what do you, do yeah. you think there was any sort of obvious, you know, change to your lifestyle <laughs> or something, or was it just time? What do you think? I honestly have no idea. So yeah. we we were actually starting to look into IVF. I so I we'd been trying for about 12 months and I thought okay I'll go and see my GP who referred me to my obstetrician saw my obstetrician had you know a heap of blood tests done I had a procedure to make sure that my there were no blockages in my tubes that everything sort of was working completely fine um and it was and my obstetrician is like we've dilated your cervix this is the best time for you to get pregnant like now and six months or so 
and six months came and went and I still wasn't still wasn't pregnant so um, reluctantly I really I didn't want to go down the path of IVF but you know I am 36 so I was sort of realistic that I didn't want to also wait too long in case IVF also didn't work and yeah COVID happened and IVF stopped and then all of a sudden we got pregnant so very so fortunate. You, ha- you hadn't started your IVF, you hadn't had your appointments for that yet? Yeah, so or- we had, we'd had t- two or three preliminary appointments. Mm. Yeah, just seeing a GP to get a whole heap of blood tests done. Mm. Nate had to get a, a heap of blood tests done as well. Mm. I had an ultrasound to get my um, follicle count. So we were right at the point where we could book in to see, I guess, the fertility specialist Mm. and then start doing treatment. And I was sort of in a mind of I just want to wait, you know, two or three months. I just need a little bit more time. Mm. Um, And then COVID hit and then we had no choice but but to wait but then Mm. got pregnant anyway. So very lucky. Isn't it amazing? Like it's almost like you always, you know, you often hear the stories of like and then I stopped trying or I stop caring so much or whatever and then it just happens like it, it's just it's almost like your body to some extent just kind of like relaxes I don't I don't know yeah but then I don't know it, what yeah. it is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know because I feel like I feel like for many months yeah. particularly when we were in Europe at your wedding yeah we were very we were very you were relaxed very, yeah, <laughs> so, that's true. So I don't know why I wasn't getting pregnant <laughs> yeah. it's so true and again it's that whole it's out like completely out of your control thing that just makes it so hard to swallow as well um, yeah exactly you know. the real the difficult part was we got pregnant twice on the first go. Real, mm. so obviously so quickly, and being you know that sort of type A personality, mm. you're expecting that continuity and you expect it to happen just as yeah. quick. Yes, and then also to be told you know by my obstetrician after I'd had that procedure done, oh, we didn't find anything. There's nothing there. I'm like, what do you mean there's nothing there? There's nothing for you to fix. It would just be so much easier if he'd found a blockage or something to explain. And then getting all of the blood tests done and the follicle count done, you know, when we started looking at IVF, the doctor's like, well, there's actually nothing wrong with you. You're part of this small percentage of people where we can't figure out why you're not pregnant. I'm like... That doesn't help me. <laughs> of course I am. <laughs> so I it know. was yeah. yeah, immensely immensely frustrating. Mm. So what would you have wanted to, you know, what things could your friends or other people say to you during the time when you experienced a miscarriage that, you know, isn't too off-putting? I mean, often I hear people say things like, oh, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. And I can imagine if I was the one going through that, I'd be like, cringe, shut up. I don't want to yeah. hear that. Like, <laughs> that's not helpful, you know. Yeah. So is, there, is there the right or wrong thing to say? Like what, uh, what would you say? I don't know. It's really hard to know what the right thing is to say because mm. everyone takes it differently, right? Mm. I think perhaps it just wasn't meant to be. It's not the right thing to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, 
yeah, it's a it's a tough one. Sometimes it's okay to not say anything mm. and just give a hug or you know yeah. an elbow tap if it's still COVID. <laughs> um, but it, I I think just I had friends sort of just check in on me periodically to see how I was going without expectation of talking about it mm. but also saying, you know, if you want to have a chat about it, I've been through it as well. Mm. And so that was really nice. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? As you said, when you sort of mentioned it to people that you'd experienced it, it's amazing. As you said, all these people come out of the woodwork and start talking about it. Like, Isn't it yeah. interesting that for so many it's it's still so taboo like and it's still that whole wait till 12 weeks and then don't you know if he doesn't pan out maybe tell your two closest friends like I don't know I mean everyone approaches it slightly differently but isn't it amazing that culturally that's what it can be like yeah and you're absolutely right like I feel like the more you talk about it the more you hear other people's stories and it's so common Mm. I worked with a group of five girls and when it happened to me I found out that it happened to all five of us Mm. and yeah it's you're right there seems to be this taboo of not being able to to tell people prior to getting to that 12 or 13 weeks and it just seems that it's because you would have to also, if something happens, mm. you would also have to tell them that something has happened. Mm. Where I just feel like you would want to lean on those people if something happens. And it's yeah. a it's a big shock to tell someone when um, something bad has happened and that's all they hear about. So mm. um, I know, you know, with my mum, she's um, a real warrior and... When I had a miscarriage, you know, she didn't know anyone who had a miscarriage, so oh, just wow. didn't know anything about wow. anything that was going on. Wow. Um, and so with my second, I wanted to make sure that I could tell her that I was pregnant because, you know, I obviously had that fear that something was going to go wrong and I didn't want to feed her all of that information at once if something mm. did go wrong. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it's it's important to to be able to feel comfortable to tell people because I just don't feel like we can quite articulate why we're not telling anyone mm. other than the fact that you might need to then tell them if something bad has happened, which is just crazy. Yeah. Oh, totally. I think for me it was the worst kept secret. Like <laughs> I was like, you know, I'll go for a walk with a girlfriend and I'm like, you know, I don't know, five weeks pregnant or something. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. And then the second thing that comes out of my mouth is, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. pregnant. (laughs) And it's only five weeks and I don't know what's going to happen. And I feel, you know, I'm in the gray area, but I'm just going to let you know. like, Because as you said, I mean, yeah, you know now. But as you said, like these are the people that you're going to lean on. Like, uh, you know, if if things don't pan out, I'm going to want to hash it out with my my girlfriends. So Yeah, exactly. um, And it's nice to have people people um, ask how you're feeling and how you're going because that Mm. first three months, you know, you can be really unwell or um, be, you know, it it, it can have an emotional drain as well and be able to seek support by being Mm. honest with people without feeling like you've got to hide something I think is really Mm. important. 
I think it's amazing as well that you said your mum didn't know anyone that had had a miscarriage before. I wonder, does that say something about like that generation? Do you think it's even more taboo than it is now? What do you, what do you think? It could be. I think it's probably a cultural thing too. My mum's Indonesian and, you know, grew up in a rural community. And I think taboo is, is the right word, you know, um, when women miscarried, is it because they did something or, mm. you know, were the women to blame at the time and so then nobody spoke about it? Mm. So, yeah, I think, yeah, a combination of cultural and, and generation perhaps. It's fascinating, isn't it? And that's why, I don't know, I think there's certainly value in in people sort of being comfortable to share their story around this because then I think to some extent it normalises it so that if anyone does experience it, there's not that sense of shame or that sense yeah. of, you know, oh, you know, total surprise or like your mum sitting there going, but I didn't, uh, does that actually even happen? Like, you know, I yeah. think there's power yeah. sometimes in sharing our stories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, yeah I think we should feel empowered to be honest and mm. to be able to share without being criticised or, you know, without mm. being frowned upon, you know, obviously so much is beyond our control, if not everything, when it comes to to getting pregnant and staying pregnant. So Mm. I think we should be supported in in revealing as much information as we like when we like. Yeah, agreed. So for those women listening who are struggling at the moment with falling pregnant, do you have any sort of final words of advice to them? (laughs) I think probably see a GP early would be my advice. Certainly if, you, if you've got a, a good relationship with your GP, have a chat to them, see a specialist and, yeah, you know, chat to girlfriends, chat, chat to people to find out what their experiences have been. You know, similar to miscarriage, not getting pregnant seems to be this thing that nobody talks about because it's this private pain that everyone is suffering. Mm. And I remember getting a text from my neighbour when I wasn't pregnant and she'd come over for coffee and, you know, I told her that we were trying for a really long time and after I had a chat with her, she sent me a text maybe six months later just saying, hey, Son, you know, I'm thinking of you and... It wasn't asking whether I was pregnant or how it was going, mm. but it was just saying, you know, I, there were times when when um, I struggled to get pregnant, and I remember that monthly roller coaster of waiting and getting your period and and just feeling deflated. And if you ever want to have a coffee or a wine, just let me know. So it, mm. it was just nice to to have people reach out and be supportive in that way, mm. without probing for information or updates. Yeah, I, I, I think it's nice to have that support network if you can find it. Oh, absolutely. Makes sense. So yeah. I round out all of our conversations with this final question. So how do you think this experience and also just in general motherhood has changed you as a person? Um, I think being a mum has certainly made me more patient. I feel like my life was very fast before having Austin and now we've slowed down a bit you're forced to because everything happens at at the speed that they dictate rather than the speed that you're wanting things to happen so definitely 
patience and my appreciation for time as well. You know, you sort of, I remember parents when we were younger saying that as you get older, time goes quicker. And it's it's so true. Mm. And you just want time to stand still, especially when your kids are so small. And so I just appreciate the time that I have um, so much more than I think I did before having Austin. Yeah. Yeah, but definitely patience. Yes. <laughs> a lot more patient now than what I was. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> well, Son, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Lee. Great to be here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and give us five stars if you're feeling fancy. By subscribing to the podcast, every new episode will drop into your podcast library each week. Subscribing is also such an essential way for people to find us and to enable us to grow. Want to be part of the Mum Life community? Join our Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at Mum Life Podcast. Until next time, keep living your best mum life.